You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Kazakhstan shuts down its internet as civil unrest continues. The UK's NHS warns of unknown threat actors exploiting Log4J bugs and unpatched VMware Horizon servers. In the US, CISA continues to assist federal agencies with Log4J remediation, and observers call for more government support of open source software security. A major provider of school websites is hit with ransomware. Our guest is John Belazare of Saluna Computing with a new approach to data center efficiency. Thomas Etheridge from CrowdStrike on supply chain risks. And the U.S. extends the deadline to apply for grants in support of Rip and Replace. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, January 7th, 2022. As widespread unrest and an increasingly violent government response continue in Kazakhstan, That country's government has cut back internet services to an effective blackout level. NetBlocks says that the interruption, which began Wednesday at about 5 p.m. local time, has also affected mobile and some fixed-line telephone services. This morning, service had flatlined at 55% of normal levels. President Kasim Jomard Tokayev, who has requested and received military support from the Russian-led Collective Security Treaty Organization of former Soviet republics to put down civil disorder, opened up mass communications long enough to deliver an address explaining the steps his government is taking. The CSTO includes Armenia, Belarus, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, and Tajikistan, in addition to Russia. Shutting down the internet has now become a routine step in coups and crackdowns, the equivalent of the 19th century's seizure of printing presses and the 20th century's takeover of the radio stations. This, however, pales in comparison to the kinetic violence in Kazakhstan, where President Tokayev has issued, Reuters reports, a shoot-to-kill order to forces confronting rioters. One consequence of the internet blackout in Kazakhstan has been a disruption of cryptocurrency mining in that country. After China cracked down on coin mining in 2021, many coin miners set up shop in Kazakhstan. 
which became the world's second largest center of altcoin mining after the U.S., which moved into first place after Chinese restrictions came into effect. CNBC reports that the disruption of mining in the Central Asian country has already had an effect on Bitcoin prices. The UK's National Health Service has issued a warning that unknown threat actors are working to exploit vulnerable VMware Horizon servers to set up web shells in their victims, thereby establishing persistence in their targets. VMware was quick to respond to notification of Log4j vulnerabilities, and its products have received appropriate upgrades. Nonetheless, as the record points out, a non-negligible number of users haven't yet updated their software, and the threat actors are misbehaving accordingly. NHS doesn't identify the threat actor whose behavior it describes, and indeed there may not be any single actor responsible for the attempts. Duo Security's Decipher says that there are more than one bad actor engaged in this kind of exploitation. Quote, Since the first disclosure of the Log4j bug, a wide variety of attack groups have been exploiting it. APT groups, lone actors, and cybercrime groups all have been seen exploiting one or more of the Log4j flaws that have been disclosed in the last few weeks. End quote. Duo's Decipher also points out that while the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency has indicated that the agencies it oversees are now in general compliance with Emergency Directive 22-02, the agency has been tight-lipped about details of compliance. This is understandable in what CISA characterized to Meritalk yesterday as an ongoing process of remediation— and the agency intends to issue a cross-agency status report by February 15th. The experience of finding and fixing Log4j vulnerabilities has demonstrated how complex the software supply chain is and how complicated the process of vetting it will inevitably be. As ZDNet puts it in writing about this particular case, quote, The Log4j flaw for Java web applications will haunt tech people for years. End quote. An essay in Politico argues, in part, that Log4j has exposed the limitations of the self-correcting, evolutionary model of security that's long informed the open-source community's practices. You can follow the CyberWire's ongoing coverage of the Log4j vulnerabilities on our website. Bleeping Computer reports that Final Sight, a major provider of web services to schools, has acknowledged sustaining a ransomware attack that's interfered with its ability to deliver services to its customers. The company had earlier characterized the incident as disruption of certain computer systems on Final Sight's network. Final Sight is based in the UK, but it provides services to schools worldwide, claiming to serve 8,000 systems from elementary schools to universities in 115 countries. The ransomware incident led Final Sight to take down some 5,000 school websites. The company said, quote, The Final Sight security team monitors our network systems 24 hours a day, seven days a week. On Tuesday, January 4th, our team identified the presence of ransomware on certain systems in our environment. We immediately took steps to secure our systems and to contain the activity. We quickly launched an investigation into the event with the assistance of third-party forensic specialists, and began proactively taking certain systems offline. End quote. Recovery and investigation continue. CISA has continued to issue updates on ICS systems. The agency yesterday released four industrial control system advisories. 
covering Philips Engage software, Omicron CX-1, Fernhill SCADA server, and IDEC programmable logic controllers. And there's been another update from the U.S. government on its rip-and-replace program, designed to eliminate Huawei and ZTE equipment from smaller communications infrastructure providers' networks. The Federal Communication Commission's Secure and Trusted Communications Network's reimbursement program has extended the application deadline for rip-and-replace until the end of this month. The application deadline has been moved to January 28, 2022, at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time. Rural telcos, contact the FCC for details. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and Zero Trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their SASE journey, visit netskope.com. It's common knowledge that data centers consume a lot of energy, both for running the equipment inside and for keeping that equipment cool, and hooking them up to the more green sources of energy like solar or wind power presents the well-known challenge of well, what do you do when the wind isn't blowing or the sun isn't shining? So Luna Computing is an energy startup that's taking a novel approach to powering data centers with renewable energy, built on the notion that not all computing needs to happen right away. John Belazare is CEO of Saluna Computing. What we're saying is, what if you built a completely different type of data center that wasn't designed to be on 24-7, that actually was designed to be less on less than 24-7 and could match its consumption, the load that it brings to the grid, to the actual production of the power plants uh, on the grid. In fact, what if you place that data center right at the power plant and when there is wasted and spilled power, 
that data center would consume that spilled power and allow the power plant to balance itself better to the grid's needs. And therefore, you could put more of these power plants on the grid. And that's what we're doing at Saluna. We're building specifically designed facilities that are based behind uh, the meter, if you will. They consume wasted energy. So we bring load to places where you need that load. And inside those facilities, we put different types of computing applications in there, computing applications that can be paused, that are running jobs that uh, are okay, uh, essentially matching their, the energy that's available. Would you be you know, handing off processing jobs from data center to data center as the conditions were right or around the world? Is, is that one component of what would be going on here? Actually, what we do is we've looked at all of the different types of applications out there. So let's say you're a CIO of a big financial services organization or a big corporation. You've got different types of compute load inside your organization. You have one type that's mission critical, has to be on all the time. Your email service can never go down. Your financial services app or ERP applications always have to be up. What you want to do is place those applications in a regular data center. And then you've got a whole new set of applications that are fast emerging applications for modeling your business, for example, that are powered by machine learning. Uh, You might have applications that are AI applications that help you determine which movie to to, to show your customer next. Or you might have other applications that are focused on helping you find the next cure to the next uh, global pandemic, where it's processing molecules and trying to to, to find matches for how uh, we might address, say, a a particular new uh, deadly virus. What we're saying is those two types of jobs, one is real-time and one is batchable. What if you took the batchable ones, grouped them together, and built data centers specifically designed just to run those types of applications and then connected those data centers to real renewable energy resources on the grid and built an entire network of these data centers around the world? Well, now you can create this very large zero carbon cloud platform that's powered directly by green electrons that can deliver advanced computing processes to the global enterprise, to universities, to pharmaceutical companies, um, to uh, movie houses, to streaming services, etc. at a much lower cost than you can from an Amazon, let's say, and uh, really help save the planet in the process. Is it ever a challenge getting folks to wrap their head around the notion that, you know, not all processing has to happen right now? It does. Yeah. I think most people believe that computing is a continuous uh, stream of activities. I think part of it is because we're now so used to computing really being close to our person. Um, We carry pretty powerful machines in our pockets and um, they keep us connected all the time. And so, uh, the, you know, a typical person, if you grab them in, in the street, wouldn't imagine this concept of computing that's plausible or computing that can be performed in, in time slices. But the truth is that just even to create the real-time experience that we get from lots of applications, it's really a stream of multiple different uh, smaller, you know, plausible elements that are doing their work to participate in that, you know, look at some of the social platforms, you know, to, to, to generate your feed, there's an entire AI and uh, machine learning process that's running just for you to make sure that you're seeing the, the, 
the best content and directing you perhaps or influencing you to buy products on uh, certain, certain platforms. That's all being performed by processes that are, that are continuously running, but you could, you could stop those processes and move them to another location and then restart that running and your feed wouldn't even, you know, you as a human wouldn't even notice that. That's John Belazare from Saluna Computing. There's a lot more to this conversation. If you want to hear more, head on over to CyberWire Pro and sign up for Interview Selects, where you get access to this and many more extended interviews. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Thomas Etheridge. He's Senior Vice President of Services at CrowdStrike, uh, Thomas, it's always great to have you back. You know, with um, Colonial Pipeline getting farther, farther in the background in that rearview mirror as time goes on, I, I just wanted to check in with you for kind of where we stand at this moment when it comes to supply chain risks. W- what's your take there? Thanks, Dave. I appreciate you having me again on the show. Um, yeah, supply chain's been a topic that's been top of mind for for firms like CrowdStrike for a long time. Third party application vulnerabilities and the uh, vulnerability of the supply chain in general has been something that threat actors are able to take advantage of to supersize the impact they can have on their victims. And that's something that we've been uh, responding to as uh, instant response uh, service providers for, for quite a long time. Where do we stand right now in terms of your recommendations for folks? Um, I'm thinking of the, you know, the checklist, the due diligence that they should be doing with their own suppliers. That's a great question. I think for, for me, I talk to organizations all the time about their vendor management programs. What are they doing to assess the security capabilities of the technologies and the service providers that are accessing their their infrastructure? Are they doing red team type uh, testing engagements, penetration testing? Are they uh, doing compromise assessments before they onboard a new technology or vendor to make sure that those organizations are not bringing a problem to the relationship? And then lastly, what else can be done from a documentation and a, you know a compliance perspective to make sure those vendors have the ability to respond in the event that there is a vulnerability or a breach. Well, let's talk about incident response itself. You know, when when you and your colleagues there from CrowdStrike are brought in in an incident response case, how does all of the communication work between the folks that you're dealing with directly and then their suppliers down the chain? Well, 
Incident response is a team sport, Dave. We talk about this all the time. It does require orchestration and collaboration from all the interested parties. We are having conversations, not just with the customer and their legal team and their their compliance team and uh, outside organizations that may need to help with communications, but working with the vendors and making sure they understand where some of these risks are at and how we can solve for some of those problems specifically around things like implementing zero trust architectures, as well as making sure we are looking past the vulnerability into how threat actors might be moving in that infrastructure. As we look toward uh, this coming new year, any thoughts on where things might uh, head when it comes to supply chains? Or is it going to be more of the same? Or is there anything on your horizon that, that may I don't know, indicate an evolution of how we deal with these sorts of things? Something we talk to victims about all the time, Dave, is really focusing on post-vulnerability exploitation and the value add of threat hunting. If you assume that a zero-day exploit or a supply chain vulnerability is going to be used by a threat actor, and I think that's a safe assumption given the history and what we've seen over the last few years with some of these supply chain attacks. You need to have the capability to threat hunt on what threat actors are doing after the exploit's been taken advantage of. And really building out, whether it's internally or in collaboration and partnership with a third-party organization that provides threat hunting capabilities, the ability to look past the vulnerability and understand the telemetry of the infrastructure and what's going on in the environment so you can respond faster to a threat uh, that's taking place in your environment. The other thing that we uh, emphasize as well is the importance of identity and zero trust. A lot of these e-crime threat actors and the, the big game ransomware hunting uh, type activities that we see in the market today are precipitated by the use of stolen credentials. Understanding identities and solving for credential theft and uh, poor identity management through the implementation of zero trust capabilities is something we discuss with victims all the time. All right. Well, Thomas Etheridge, thanks for joining us. That's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Don't miss this weekend's episode of Research Saturday and my conversation with Rob Boyce from Accenture Security, reviewing their Karakurt Threat Group research. That's Research Saturday. Check it out. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Falecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week.
And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Cyberwire. 